0: I think I realised that actually you can have these amazing opportunities and experiences. You can travel, and, you know, like I say, I, I don't have loads of degrees and stuff. And, but I've managed to, you know, work around the world, travel most places, work with incredible people. For me, that's that's absolutely brilliant.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Birmingham Food Podcast, Breaking Bread. I'm your host, Liam, and sitting opposite me is, uh... The handsome. <laughs> I was wondering what to the say. I was going to say lovely, but it's not oh, really... Yeah. No, I am lovely. See, you're not wrong. And I am handsome. so oh, you're, you're a good bloke. But I don't know if I'd describe you. I don't know if you describe any of my mates as lovely, to be honest. I don't want to be. Anywhere. Sitting opposite me. It's my co-host, Carl. Love handsome Carl. That <laughs> ah, sounds good. I'm doing you <laughs> just this now. Either way, here we are. How you doing, mate? Yeah, buzzing, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. Very good, very Good. Glad uh, we got the first episode out there now. This is episode number two. Yeah. Obviously, if you missed the one with Pip, if you're only here because you love Great British Menu and you like Stu Collins, go back and have a listen to Pip. I'm telling you, a Brummy legend.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming anyone that listens to this is going to listen to the one before. Don't assume, but this mate. Don't you know, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope <laughs> they listen to all our podcasts. <laughs> you
1: know what I mean? Over, I don't know how many we've done. I should look in you know, a count. I bet it's like close to 200. Nah, it's 200. Maybe. Nah. Three years. Over three years now. i would guess about 50. Nah, definitely more than 50. Have a look on Spotify. Definitely more than 50. Either way, this is just not important. (laughs) 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 Yeah, thank you for joining us. As ever, I will say, if you do enjoy this episode and you enjoy any of our episodes, please... Help us to spread the word about how great Birmingham is. We are on this mission to tell people, listen, Birmingham's not shit, I'm telling you, man. It's fucking brilliant. You said
2: Birmingham's young and knock them out?
1: <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, if you're listening to this, you probably think Birmingham is brilliant too. So help us out, spread the word. And all you have to do to do that is give us a tiny little like and a rating. And if you really, really like us, give us a review and spotify and apple because spotify has done this whole new thing now where they've introduced a writing system and i'm pretty sure they'll be pushing ones who get quite good writing so if you could do that that will get this word further and tell everyone how great burning is so if you could do that we will love you forever uh not just our episodes not just our podcast support any independent podcasts i'm not going to go on a massive rant but i do want to get this out there there is a lot of podcasts out there now it felt like during lockdown BBC and loads of other places decided to pile a load of money into podcasts and now like Apple and everything it's just flooded with podcasts and a lot of them I mean I'm not slagging them off this is the positive podcast but a lot of them are just let's get like a celebrity and pile a load of money into it and I feel like podcasting was more about maybe what we did we had a passion a burning passion to talk about and speak to chefs so we went out there and created it on our own like no money no nothing just went out and put hard work into it and that a lot of independent podcasts are still out there doing that so make sure if you do listen to them just give them a little review or drop them a message on instagram tell them you like what they do because it really does mean loads to us doesn't it
2: 83 83 episodes. <laughs> 83
1: episodes. That's a lot of episodes. That's a lot uh. of episodes. Jesus. Did you hear what I said? No, I wasn't listening. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> of course I did.
2: <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, this is all in our spare time. we all, It's just a hobby for us. We love doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's nothing really... And I was just saying there's loads of podcasts like that. The yeah, there's,
2: there's loads out there. To so support. Some them. are good, yeah. Give them a like. These people are putting a lot of most, effort in.
1: Most of them are good. I just feel like radio's like just seeing it as another way of making money out of advertising. A lot of places are, and that's not what we're about. It's not a lot, what a lot of independent podcasts are about. Like, we love it. Yeah, we absolutely fun. love it. Yeah. We get to do like, we just know about cool restaurants, like 670, Cray Treadwell. Yeah,
2: yeah, we had there the other night.
1: And a big part of this podcast, we've, we've made friends with a lot of these chefs. So had
2: a lot of friends through this podcast.
1: Cray is someone like, I mean, we were talking. The first episode we did with him was like three years ago. Like it was, it was fairly fresh. Yeah. Into making the podcast, he had no restaurant then or nothing. He'd just come back down from Leeds, man behind the curtain. But he, he, we just clicked Gen- genuinely, like really nice guy. When he like,
2: yeah, Sam. Going on really well with him. Yeah. He's fucking
1: talented as well. Surprisingly talented, mate. Like when you chat to someone and they're so sad and you like just think they're a normal person and then you forget just like oh hang on a minute he's fucking like Michelin Young Chef of the Year like yeah 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 <laughs> it's not just us who think he's talented Michelin think yeah, yeah. he's talented that new menu man yeah yeah
2: yeah what was it like 11 15 I courses lost or something I lost count I lost
1: count yeah he didn't give us the menu so I lost count As well, I like, so, oh. I think
2: it's 14 or 15 courses
1: it was a lot of food man a lot
2: of food. But it was great, wasn't it? We, we went down there and we hadn't been there since it full opened. And when it opened, it was good. But it's gone up another notch now. Really has. So it's firing on all cylinders and it's on a par with anywhere else in the city, especially for how exciting it is. When he tells you what's on that plate and on that dish, you sort of do a double take. You're like, you've put them things together. And then you put it in your mouth. You're like, ah, oh, that's why he's put them things together.
1: Jaffa cake with the pork scratchings on top. I know, yeah. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable!
2: It's, man's doing some crazy stuff there. It's so good.
1: But it's not like challenge. It's not like food where like somebody puts like something in front of you and like it's to challenge your palate and it's to kind of expand your mind. It's not that. It's just things it that you really yeah, love yeah. to eat. It's it's flavors you know and love, but just in a more refined, in a more refined dish. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, just mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. Man, smashing
2: it. Yeah, loved it. Loved it, mate. We've done well for food, though. We? We've eaten there the same week.
1: <laughs> the same week. Same mm. week, we did this podcast and
2: we could talk about the food because we didn't. We ate after recording the podcast. Yeah. So this might sound weird. We're not. When you hear the podcast, we hadn't eaten there yet, but we're eating there now. Yeah. Because obviously we do this yeah, after.
1: Yeah, but oh, mate. So obviously, this episode is obviously Stuart Collins. Yeah, Great British menu fame. But other than that, just what a nice guy. Duck it up
2: in Shropshire. Wow, yeah. Really nice fella. Yeah. So interesting, his career. He's worked he with so...
1: That's Jez again. Yeah. You know Jez. Co-host oh, Jez. Yeah, yeah.
2: The third member of the team. The third member of the
1: Jessica. team. it all right. I don't even know where we were, We now. were talking about Stew, and uh, yeah, so we ate there then.
2: Yeah, and we ate after. Man, the food was good. Yeah. Yeah. so fucking good
1: it's nice as well going up to Shropshire like it's not that far do you know it's, it took us an hour and a half because we live like south of Birmingham but from Birmingham to centre it's only an hour less than an hour yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's not far and there's trains I think Laura bought your brother up there on the train so you can get there yeah but just a really nice restaurant in a really nice town like you know Shropshire uh, which church? yeah yeah which yeah, it?
2: yeah, it's in the michelin guide again that place how that hasn't got a star i think it's criminal absolutely criminal
1: it's as good as any um one it's star. as good as
2: any one star i've ever yeah. been to it's on a par with any of them and the it's...
1: service was great and um, france so nice like most genuine service you'll ever have like yeah,
2: yeah. and it was busy in there as well and this was a lunchtime saturday i mean they're fully booked you want to go i mean you keep an eye out but it's fully booked till like july now yeah
1: it's just really good
2: but i can see why
1: that parsnip dish was probably—I mean, I know it's January, but I'm pretty, pretty sure it's going to be on my dish of the year.
2: Yeah, I'd be surprised if it weren't it's one of my favorite things I've ever eaten. It was so nice, really, really good food. Coming from like sunny, par- yeah, yeah. I don't even it like came parsnip. down and I started eating it, and you were busy taking photos. Like, oh, I don't really like parsnip, and I was like, mate, you're going to love this this is all I'd have refused to believe no one would love this
1: it was just very smart it wasn't too parsnip it's normally the texture of parsnip as well that kills me like I'm used to like years ago getting like stewed parsnip to death you know what I mean yeah yeah and yeah. this was ah, oh, and the pickled ginger that was in there everything that was in there every element of it was just delicious it reminded me of the Ophene potato dish which you haven't had but I feel no. like this was a good opportunity it reminded to wipe, me a bit to, of
2: the egg at go. Skosh.
1: Yeah, the egg at scoche as well, yeah. Sort of had yeah. that
2: sort of vibe to it. And that sort of level, it's like that good.
1: Yeah, definitely. One of the standout dishes that I'll remember for a long time, In fairness, Yeah. But but every every,
2: every course, there wasn't... You know, normally on a taste of me, there's like a course that comes along and you're like, well, that, it was nice, but, you know, but everything. Yeah. Like normally even the cheeses, like you pay extra for the cheeses a lot of these places. And often I'm like, Oh, I could have done without that. I didn't need to get the cheese. Because if it's there to get, I'm fucking getting it.
1: Yeah, it's like we were saying, Cradium, and like, it's like, you might not, never go back there or you won't be there certainly for a long time. So you might as well take the opportunity and get everything.
2: Yeah, get it. It's on there. But it was great. Even the cheese course was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I did love that cheese. We were kind of fighting over the blue at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: and the wine pairing, I'd to add that with it. And that was fantastic as well. Yeah. Really good. And you know what? The price point, because of where it is, they haven't got the Birmingham prices. Yeah, they haven't got the rent. Yeah. yeah, so they can afford to. It's a bit cheaper. So you know what? It's worth that train journey. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You could probably get a taxi from Birmingham there and back, and it'd still be cheaper than going to some places.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd recommend that, but yeah, it'd
2: be a long taxi. But I really I don't know. some price-wise, it probably would be. But there's nice hotels there and stuff. You wanted just a nice weekend. Place where it is is beautiful.
1: Oh, mate, you have to sell me on Shropshire. I love it up there. like Stunning. You could Absolutely easily have a nice stunning.
2: hotel and there's some nice bars around there as well. Book mm. yourself a good night out. Treat yeah. yourself.
1: Treat yourself. It was a lovely road trip, and then obviously recording the podcast first with Stuart. It's
2: a great podcast. Yeah. He's done, like, again, I know I say this all the time. Because <laughs> they all are. Like we're in the position we can cherry pick and we get the people mm. we like on. We mm. talk to these people and. What a career. You're about to hear about his career and who he's worked with and how he's training when and
1: so who's who, isn't it? Like it's, it's a, ridiculous. Top man chefs, like unbelievable. Positive as well, like you know, we really this whole episode is so positive. It's talking about how great the industry is, the opportunities that arise from working in hospitality, being able to travel, the way he treats his staff, the way he, well, start I'll call him staff. The way he treats his team, yeah, 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 the way he's there, he's there to just bring people up, but very smart as well, you know. Um, good way of working, obviously four day a week, same as everyone else, but
2: he's got it nailed, doesn't he? He does yeah, a lot does. of
1: talking down at UCB. He really cares about just getting young people.
2: Yeah, the next generation yeah. through that comes up quite a lot, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, it's a big problem, and you know, I feel like. It, the easy option is always to say how do you fix it but like it's not a realistic question nobody knows the answer to that like, no and the problem is that everyone's so individual as well so like so for one person it could be you know just pay me decent money and then for another person it could be well I don't like being shouted at
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or another
1: person is uh, I need motivating all the time so if you can motiv- you know it's yeah, mad yeah, isn't yeah. it like it's um, just no people are the same and it- He cares about the industry. Yeah, he really does. And uh, obviously, massive thank you for Stuart for coming on and for having us up at the lovely docket. It's Experiences like that that just make all the hard work into the podcast really worth it. Yeah, it does. Some people really admire celebrities. Some people kind of be obsessed with all kinds of things. We admire chefs a lot (laughs) And, and visiting their really nice restaurants and kind of going behind the curtain. We kind of feel like we're a little bit part of the hospitality industry without all the hard graft and it like <laughs> hours.
2: We speak to that many people. It feels like we're involved a little bit somehow, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, but like, especially when you get invited up to like the restaurant before opening, for instance, yeah. and we get to have a chat. And we sit down. Well, we're free
2: PR as well, so we are sort of involved.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I don't care. Either way, we love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved having Stuart on, and I should probably say... Um, it, if you're here because of Great British Menu, we've had quite a few Great British Menu people on.
2: Yeah, I think, what did I say? That was the fifth or the sixth I'm not person sure, but from Great British Menu we've had on It's mentor.
1: Cray, yeah, Cry on Great British Menu. Cray Alex. Alex. Um, Andrew Sheridan. Andrew Sheridan. Yeah. And Akhtar. Akhtar as well, yeah. So, yeah, if you're here because of that welcome and maybe go back and have a listen to them episodes I'll yeah, probably
2: if you're interested in that side of it we've had plenty of the people on
1: i'll throw i'll throw the links down in the show notes ladies and gentlemen stuart collins Stuart, welcome to the show. How are you, mate?
2: Good morning, how are you? Good. Very, good. Very good. Good to be here. It's a lovely restaurant. Thank you so much. It's absolutely Thank you. stunning inside. Of
1: lovely town as well. Like the whole coming up through Shropshire, nice.
2: Yeah, great location
0: mm. and the town itself. You know, it's it's for us. It was one of the big things that Shropshire does really well. The sort of independent, independently owned businesses. You know, busy busy high streets. Mm. Um, yeah, really good. Sort of. You know, that's where we sort of, um, we use a lot of businesses as well. So it's you know, really sort of uh, beneficial for everybody. It's really cool.
1: I wonder if it's because, you know, I, I don't want to just slug off chains, but Birmingham's so chain heavy. I wonder if it's in the villages and towns. You probably know the owner of that shop or you know the owner of that independent shop really well. So you want to support them? I wonder if that's how it goes.
0: A hundred percent. It is. It's, um you know, and obviously locality wise, we sort of... um we're sort of dependent on the high street. We don't have, you know, Birmingham. You've got a massive shopping centre or you've got sort of districts that you can go to. Mm. Here, we've got what we've got, right? And um, yeah, there's obviously supermarkets, but you sort of, um, in terms of everything else, it is, it's dependent on that. And, and obviously the people that live in the town, they use the town. So yeah, it's really cool. It's um, It works well.
1: So we start every podcast as most podcasts do, just going back to like the beginning where did you grow up? Was it round here, or
0: yeah? So I grew up uh, about forty-five minutes, uh, just down the road from here, a little village called Wheaton Aston, uh, just near Western Park. And um, yeah, I started basically in the industry as washing up in a butcher shop, proper old-school butchers in the, in the village, sort of Saturday, Saturday afternoons, and then that turned into everyday after school. And it was, um, it was a real sort of. Um, Sort of boys environment if you know what i mean yeah went off shooting and driving and just it was a real sort of i, I loved it it was way more fun than school and um <laughs> yeah so suddenly i wanted to be there more and more and then we, we used to do pig roasts outside of molyneux as well that was sort of had a little stall outside there on match day and then some event catering outside catering is that your team no, 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 I don't actually follow football. No? Saturdays, isn't it? I mean, it was yeah. time on a Saturday. Like, <laughs> yeah, you don't have. To. Busy cooking, but uh, yeah, and it moved from there really. And then there's a, there was a pub that we, we were supplying from the butcher shop, and a really sort of enthusiastic head chef there. And I ended up working um, moves across to working in the pub, and then I remember he started talking to me about these Michelin stars, these restaurants with, and obviously this was pre. Yeah, Instagram and all that good stuff, yeah. showing yeah. show my age now, but um, yeah, and he was sort of talking about this thing, and I remember him talking about Birmingham, and it just sounded like this sort of holy grail of restaurants <laughs> and cool stuff, and I was like, okay, cool, and he said, go along to the open day at Birmingham College, go and see, if, see what you think of it, and um, literally that's how it went down, I went, loved the college, as I say, school. I sort of fell out of love with school. Went to the college and it, for me it just seemed brilliant. You've got the sort of, obviously the academic side, yeah. but you definitely got the practical side. But it sort of clicked straight away like, I'm yeah. enjoying this. And then signed up, got involved, did quite well. Got onto the culinary team and as we sort of, a lot of the great chefs in the region that have been to the college, you sort of get the, the better work placements and stuff. Um, so I went down to London, down to Gary Rhodes, and then I went down to Michael Cain's at Gidley Park for sort of my two work experiences. And some work experience. Incredible, right? <laughs> I mean, sort of polar opposites in kitchens. Um, Gary's, Gary Rhodes' kitchen was super busy. I forget now, but it was hundred plus covers for lunch. Same for dinner. Big kitchen, big brigade, very fast paced and brilliant. And then Gidley was like 30 covers, I think. Five chefs, a lot more detail in the cuisine. Obviously like one star to two star. and Yeah, very contrasting, but great experiences. And then I was really fortunate Michael said, look, when you finish college, there's a job if you want it, so come come work with me.
2: So you made an impression then.
0: I must be good at picking lettuce or <laughs> something. So, yeah. And, um, yeah. and then that was it. And, you know, sort of uh, I went down to Gidley, did about four and a half years down there, which is brilliant. Just such an education. Very, um, I don't know if he still does it, but he used to have this uh, sort of ethos in the kitchen where you had to do a full year on each section. It didn't matter really your age, not necessarily your experience, but you had to do the full gear. So you start on the garnish, and then you move across to like the, commie section on the larder, then the hot starters, and then onto the meat and fish. And someone will move in and out of pastry, um, sort of periodically. And which it,
1: which it, section did you enjoy most?
0: Definitely the hot starters, because there's a bit of everything. You get sort of the, the, the sort of intricate garnishes as well, mm. but then you also get to there was quail and foie gras and fish prep, and so you get a bit of the best of both. Meat and fish is brilliant, and really mastering the sauces, and even garnish was good fun. I mean, it really was. It was massive, like, section, one person, and Michael's dishes are very detailed and lots of components, and, you know, each dish has got seven different vegetables and stuff, so it's, yeah. it's a busy section, but, yeah, you really do master it, and that was the one thing I took from it. You Because there's no sort of, I've been here three months, chef, I should be promoted. You sort of... You go through the whole year, you learn every recipe, you learn how the ingredient is. You, you start to understand about how an ingredient can maybe change through a season and stuff and mm-hmm. how, how you adapt it, and solid, solid foundation. And there was no fast track. So you take so much on board, it's brilliant.
1: Was that true of pastry chefs as well? So do pastries have to go and do all the garnish and everything as well? Yeah, like, so yeah.
0: some there was a few few chefs that we had that sort of um, were purely pastry mm-hmm. through through the time I was there. And then there was one or two of the lads that sort of moved across into pastry and managed to get a year uh, year or so in there. But yeah, I mean, it was a small team. So it was very, very family-orientated. We all sort of lived on site as well. And I think in the time I was there, you know, the team didn't change. Maybe one or two sort of came and went, but otherwise it was a solid sort of team. And it became very, I mean, one of the lads I then, when I moved, later when I moved over to New York he was there as well we ended up living together for like three or four years you know so oh, and we were at college together so we we're at college then we were at Gidley and then we lived together in New York and it was just you know knew him for sort of 10 years
1: was it fun living all together <clears throat> yeah I mean it's proper sort of like
0: I can't tell you what went on obviously but um <laughs> yeah it's um it really was and it, for me it was it was a brilliant foundation sort of being you know whatever I was, 18, and, and sort of those next few years. Yeah, it was a lovely way of sort of moving out of home, but mm. not sort of necessarily living totally free. But was um, so
1: Michael like, your da- like the dad of everyone? Like. Yeah, it's,
0: just, it's a really cool sort of almost like self. It just sort of, yeah, because there's a lovely team of people that were there and everyone knew each other, the housekeeper and sort of the GM and everybody just knew each other. It was a lovely sort of environment. And then a real caring environment in terms of looking after the guests as well. So it all just, yeah, it was brilliant, brilliant time. And then after that, uh, an opportunity came up to go and work for Gordon Ramsay in London. I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who? He's,
1: he's got this little restaurant. Think, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and yes, on to Hospital Road, uh, which, was, which was brilliant. Um, so moved up to London.
2: What sort of level chef did you move in at? So I went up
0: as chef de party on the larder, which was an absolute baptism of fire. It was, I mean, that was next level. Yeah, it was so, just the the number of things you have to do and it just, again, it's not necessarily an overwhelming way. It's just brilliant, good fun, just very sort of super organized, super disciplined, real attention to detail, making sure every single thing you do is like positive and progressive and you don't really get sort of second chances there's just no time but mm. that's what drives the perfection and it was brilliant um so did a few months on the larder then moved across to the fish again big section sort of doing all the pasta as well sort of famous raviolis and mm-hmm. all the fish prep uh and then joined service sort of all the scallops and yeah i mean brilliant all the sauces and stuff and brilliant um again fantastic experience another level obviously in sort of accolades but different environment and yeah brilliant time i was gonna
2: say what's because obviously one star is an amazing accolade to get but then working in a three-star what's the difference in a one-star and a three-star kitchen is it that much of a jump up in
0: i think it's it's the it's definitely the sort of endless pursuit of perfection everything you do has got to be perfect you know anything you prep you've got to make sure it is a thousand percent because when you get into service you know you're so that's what you're going for and that's not to say that's in a one star or two star it's still i don't know i don't think there's many chefs that can give you the the magical answer as to (laughs) what michelin entirely are looking for everyone is driving for perfection and whatever but yeah i mean with hospital road it was very precision sort of massive drive just to um make everything the absolute best it could be but yeah, brilliant. I think it just sort of then gets in your mindset. And um, from there, I, I got an opportunity when Gordon opened uh, in New York. So I transferred across to New York to go as part of the opening team. Opened over there. There was restaurant, Gordon Ramsay and Mays. Massive big kitchen. So two sort of cooking suites, one either end. And a big pastry section in the middle. Big kitchens underneath. And then kitchens upstairs as well. And then a satellite kitchen in the hotel. So it's wow. big operation, yeah. Um, so a couple of years in... Uh, sort of the restaurant Gordon Ramsay kitchen so yeah we opened which is fantastic a real sort of melting pot of chefs and big brigade everyone had worked in Michelin star restaurants um, I forget now but I think there was like 20 some front of the house some kitchen that had come out from London and the rest of the team were sort of um, all from America previously and yeah real sort of um, culture shock sort of getting your head around <laughs> it yeah were you there long? Uh, four years wow yeah which is brilliant so a couple of years in, in Gordon Ramsay's uh, restaurant Gordon Ramsay Kitchen and I moved across to run Maze again sort of the first role running a brigade uh, there was an exec chef above me which uh, Josh fantastic guy just a good good time you know different style of cuisine different style of I don't know it was interesting just to see the adaptation of what we'd done in London or what Maze had been doing to then mix it up to suit the sort of american dining scene i was
2: gonna say does, is that much different to ours
0: so as an example with maize it used to be sort of five uh, uh share uh, sort of smaller plates and after a very short period realized it was sort of it just wasn't enough sort of volume of food mm. and simultaneously gordon had launched uh maize grill in london so then we ended up ultimately putting like a grill main course so, you get three small plates, then a grill main course, then a dessert. So, mm-hmm. it just sort of bulked it out a little bit. The dining scene there, you know, it's quite, it was very quick. People come in, they have dinner, and especially in a more, in a slightly less, sorry, slightly more casual environment, it is very sort of, they're there to eat and they're on their way.
1: New York's just fast. <laughs> Everything fast about New is isn't it? Fast. Yeah. 24 hours a day,
0: fast. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we just need to sort of strengthen the menu a little bit. But again, it was brilliant. And it was a simple and a, um, a really nice way of enhancing the menu and then bringing almost the two the two concepts from London, sort of bring them together. It was brilliant.
1: How did you find living in New York? Yeah,
0: good times. It's good. Good times. How would I have been? 23 through to 27. Living a your Oh, great, yeah. great age to be there. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, uh, if if anything, I just wish it would sort of taken stock of everything a bit more. You'd mm. so... Having so much fun, working hard, playing hard and just, yeah, um, we were fortunate to go back a few years ago and sort of catch up and it was nice to do it at a slightly slower pace and just, yeah, um, but really good time and just made some great friends and still now, you know, keep in touch with so many people from there. It was such a, a welcoming place, it really is. Mm.
1: They get a bad rep, New Yorkers, but like, I've been two times and every time that they're, they're so friendly like if you're stopped in the middle of 5th Avenue with a map going am I going up am I going down <laughs> and it, they'll always stop and say like where are you heading like, I think okay.
0: there's I mean there's, there's I guess it's a, it's, it's a very much a lot of um, people move there there's very mm. few true sort of New Yorkers so everyone's in the same boat right yeah. everyone's sort yeah. of uh, yeah it's not their town and so everyone's in a similar situation but um yeah, I absolutely loved it there. Great times, really good.
1: Did you find any great places to eat, or did you like the food there? In, in the so whole? many, yeah. so
0: many places. I mean, it, it, it is, and it's 24-hour sort of... There was a great uh, Japanese place just down the road from work, and often we go down there, or um, there was a tasting menu restaurant purely for sort of industry. Oh, I think it nice. opened at 3 a.m. or something. Wow. So, you know, you sort of finish up, go and have a couple of beers, and then you could go and have a tasting menu. That's which an is interesting brilliant. One. That's yeah, like great concept. Great concept. Yeah. So, um,
1: I feel like London could do that. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: brilliant. Um, and then you've got everything in between, haven't you? And, and again, because because of the city, the ingredients that they get, everything's available. Sort of, um, you know, relatively, sort of, almost next day. Mm. Um, and the, and the diversity of restaurants is incredible. So, so much good. And every single day there was something new opening. Mm. So, you know, whether it was you know, sort of fast food or through to fine dining.
1: You brilliant. Couldn't keep up over there. Did You go Shake Shack in the park. Yeah, that was brilliant. That
0: was. That good. opened, I think it was roughly when we were there. Yeah. So it was the big boom, the first, the original. <laughs> first, yeah. Yeah.
1: Did you go Union?
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's some. That's uh, mammoth now, isn't it? It's huge, <clears throat> yeah.
0: huge. Yeah. But uh, so many good
1: places. New York. What did you leave? What would you want to leave? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> so
0: sort of, it came full circle. Um, so Michael Keynes was then involved with the Abode Hotel Group and they were opening the property in Chester. And back when I was still at Gidley, I remember he had these big plans on his desk and one thing never, it was all sort of the initial stages. And then it finally was complete in the build. Um, I was still in contact with Michael and he said, look, you know, there's a exec chef position available. Do you want to come and take it? So we had a chat. We looked at it and everything, and yeah, moved back to the UK to take take that on um, as exec chef. I it brilliant. You know, again, from a career perspective, taking that next level up to run in sort of multiple outlets, mm-hmm. um, different uh, different size team and whatever. It was a fine dining, a casual dining, and in the fine dining, Michael was trying to he was bringing in the grazing plates so again it was a similar idea to what Mays was doing um, which is sort of common more common these days but um, yeah so it was was about bringing that together and obviously having the foundation of working with Michael previously understanding his recipes and his his methods bringing on what I'd sort of learnt with Gordon and then bringing it bringing it together up there it was really really good fantastic property I mean absolutely tremendous property Uh, great team again sort of A lot of the people I worked with there we still speak to now and gone on to do amazing things. Yeah, and then a couple of years and then another opportunity came up to move across to the Middle East. And I'd never been there, sort of flown through it a few times, but didn't really know anything about it. Got an opportunity to go to Qatar, flew out there, had a look at this proposal, took a decision. That's where I wanted to be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, moved across to, to Doha. To work for Qatar Foundation, we set about opening two uh, restaurants, two independent restaurants: one steakhouse, one um, French brasserie. And we also the company partnered up with Guy Savoir, chef Guy Savoir from Paris, and we opened a a restaurant with him. So again, big, big operation, big sort of uh, melting pot of people. Very, very different to anything I've done before. That's a very different.
2: New York. Britain, then Qatar, that's a completely yeah. different ball game, I'd imagine.
0: Totally. Everything about it, and it was very much in its, uh, as a country, I think I arrived, it was about a year after they'd announced they were getting a World Cup. Mm-hmm. So things had just started moving forwards in terms of taking it from a desert to, to building it into a, you know, what it is now. And it was a really exciting time. Um, a lot of vanity projects, a lot of just um, <laughs> stuff for fun, which is cool. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, again, something we will never experience in the UK. Really cool. And then the restaurants themselves were fantastic. I mean, the steakhouse the designers came up with this idea of using fire as this sort of link in the middle. Using that, and we sort of took on this blacksmith to do all, um, they made like lampshades and these sort of divider screens in the restaurant and stuff. And the bread bowls, they forged three different types of metal. We came back to the UK and we found this British blacksmith. Um, a guy called Nigel down in Norfolk, and we went to see him. He must have thought we were mad when we turned up. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Nigel. We want some stuff for Qatar. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he made it all, and then we shipped it all out there, and, and 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 we had this amazing film made. And you know, if you can imagine the synergy of almost a steakhouse cooking on fire, and then you got the blacksmith that uses fire to, yeah. And it was we had this amazing video done, and it was really really cool. And just, I think one of the biggest things we took from it was when you. When you do do a restaurant, yes, there's expenses involved, but actually, if you you don't just have to open a catalogue and get everything out of a catalogue, actually, a bit more bespoke and whatever. And um, again, you can see it these days, you know, people getting cutlery made or Mm -hmm. individual bespoke tableware or whatever. And that was really cool. Uh, And it was nice to be able to have the opportunity sort of. Especially with someone else's money, but <laughs> yeah. Just to, to yeah, say so say, to sort of get—is it into. an
2: endless budget? Or I was going to say. I can't imagine budget's a word. They yeah, I mean I they've got there, pretty
0: deep it? pockets, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean they were um, they were fantastic projects that real eye openers and sort of um, yeah, really really cool. And of course the team—I forget—I think we had thirty nine nationalities in the team. Wow. So yeah, very diverse, very uh, interesting in terms of managing all those different nationalities. I was going to
2: say, is there a language barrier there, or is yeah. it just everyone's just learned French or English and you have to? Speak Probably fifty
0: percent of the team couldn't speak English. Definitely not great English. Uh, the business language is English, which was helpful for us.
1: I did wonder this, but surely when you worked in New York, when you worked in London, there was, it was a diverse kitchen anyway. Like,
0: so. Yeah, um, um, New York, there was a very sort of large Hispanic influence, yeah. Yeah. which was great. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, in Qatar, it's we had everything, sort of Europeans, um, obviously Arabic, mm. Southeast Asian made a large percentage of the, of the team, less sort of Western. But, yeah, it's... Uh, how, how
1: do you go on to manage them individually? Do you have to just kind of learn quick, like pick up on like the sort of differences in like... Um, like culture, like, um, like even like, you know, sometimes frowning can be one thing in some place. And, you know, did you just have to learn fast how to adapt? It
0: it is, yeah. Yeah. It really is. And it's, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's very, very difficult because you Mm. have, and again, everyone's sort of, it's no one's, If say you come to work in a a restaurant in England, Mm. it would be managed in an English, British way, if you know what I mean. Whereas we were all sort of visitors, in, in, it was no one's. There was no set no so No, exactly, because it was neither my home nor you know, yeah. anyone else's. So yeah, it's really interesting. Um, but again, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about managing people. You learn a lot about really getting the best out of people. Absolutely brilliant time. Just
2: really, really good. You know, you're doing all this with your partner as well.
0: So yeah, Fran and I first met uh, when we were working in Chester, and then. Um, when we moved to Qatar, Fran managed to get a, a job with the same company, so she moved out there with me. We had a we had a great time, brilliant time.
1: How old were you when you left home? Because it sounds like from all this that you left very young, <laughs>
2: like thirteen
1: out on the yeah. streets. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I actually left home the day after I finished my GCSEs. So wow. you'd be like, I moved to a pub near Birmingham in Clent. I was there for a very short time, but the day after I left school, and uh, and then sort of came back, and it it sort of. Went, went on to college so
1: yeah do you feel like that kind of con- contributed to your success do you feel like it was like i have to make it now because i've left home so if I <laughs> yeah, don't, it's not like you know if if we were to go and work as a chef in birmingham it's like oh if it doesn't work out my mom and dad's not going to kick us out we'll be all right but if, you, if you're paying for your own digs paying for this paying for that something at the back end i was like surely i've got to work and it, it, once you've left home there's something about coming home and saying <laughs> Gonna come back, (laughs) you know. Like (laughs) you went to London with with like big intentions, like I'm gonna go make it in the big city, and you come back. I'm sorry, (laughs) you're gonna come back. (laughs) Did that drive you at all? I think,
0: I think the, I think I realised that actually you can have these amazing opportunities and experiences. You can travel, and you know, like I say, I've got GCSEs and a MVQ from college. Mm. I'm, you know. I'm not, I don't have loads of degrees and stuff, and, but I've managed to, you know, work around the world, travel most places, work with incredible people. For me, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And mm-hmm. if it means that I have to put a bit of commitment and dedication to, to, to work and take a bit of a gamble, but equally, you know, moving abroad, I remember speaking to like a, a good friend of mine and he said, oh, I don't know how you do it. How do you, how do you just move abroad? Mm-hmm. I said, well, listen, when I first moved to New York, I took two suitcases, $250, I thought I was flying to New York, but I actually flew to New Jersey because I didn't know the difference. <laughs> so there's a big chunk of your yeah. 250 gun anyway. So to I get, get to back Manhattan with 180, yeah. and I'm yeah. like, okay, cool. But yeah, and then you just get on with it. But then it's, it's quite nice because then you start building a life and mm. finding somewhere to live. And no different when we moved to, to Doha. And it's quite exciting. It's it's brilliant.
1: Do you feel like maybe we don't tell like, anyone thinking about going into this industry only recently the massive to simply a massive thing about everyone just focuses on the negatives you hear about all the struggles how hard, everyone knows it's hard graph you work hard we don't really focus on the great stuff like if we could go to the young chefs that used to be now and say listen this this profession you are learning will get you around the world you could go into any kitchen around the world and yeah there'll be a language barrier but you'll get over that
0: yeah. <laughs> no of course it's it's a big big thing and Um, I know like with UCB I was down there a few months ago to sort of try and inspire a couple of people and it's really important the industry links that the colleges in general have and again I mean I'm so sort of grateful for UCB because they're the guys that put me into Gary Rhodes into Michael Caines Mm -hmm. and if that hadn't happened I, I don't know what would have happened. I mean who knows but they are fantastic platforms and it is important that that links are there and there's true stories you sort of, I mean, we all did case studies as students, but if you mm-hmm. have someone that walks in and says, look, this is actually what happened and it's really, really easily achievable, mm-hmm. you know, sort of uh,
1: well, e- to, to an extent easily.
0: It is, but if you find the right, you still state, have to work hard, which y- you, you do, everyone you're doing everything. That's your, that's your personal application. But mm-hmm. the benefit of that is you get to travel, you go and do this, mm-hmm. you get to work with amazing people, you get to learn, all of these new skills that, being in a British kitchen, maybe you wouldn't. I'm not saying wholly and entirely, but it also depends what you want. Um, not everyone wants to travel necessarily. Not everyone wants to move abroad or whatever. Um, but for those that do, it's there, mm-hmm. and the common denominator is just is just cooking, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. So if you you know if you're pretty good at cooking, then you could be anywhere.
1: And even before you get to UCB, because most of the people in UCB have already decided they're going to join the industry, but to the like 14, 15 year old who's going to their school advisor, career advisor. It'd be nice if there was like some positive stuff out there for them so they could see it. So it's not, they're not just watching something negative about, oh, it's really hard. Yeah, it's long hours. You're going to miss most Christmases and birthdays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Everyone knows that. But if there was like, uh, you're going to be part of a team, you're going to have a career, which if you choose to be in it, you'll be in it for life. Yep. Um, when you do get to the top, the financial benefits can be there. You could be your own boss one yeah. day. And I don't feel like that. So what would you say to someone who is 14, just going to meet the career advisor?
0: I think one of the hardest things or one of the most frustrating things with career advisors, I never went to a career advisor and no one ever sat me down and said, you can be an astronaut. Yeah. They said, yeah. you can work in the local whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the, and they look at the immediate. And I get that and, and I appreciate in terms of they're there to sort of facilitate the local surrounding areas, but there is never that massive aspirational, and I, I really wish someone would, you know, and I feel if, if a 14-year-old sat down and said, Miss, I want to be an astronaut, they'd be like, all right, calm down, you know. <laughs> but why? I mean, it's ridiculous. That's, yeah. that's, that's wrong, and so, and you're absolutely right, The sort of, not the negativity, but the, the reality is anyone can have everyth- anything, if they apply themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, in terms of our industry, it's incredible. Really important with our industry that you find where you fit. Mm -hmm. There's nothing right or wrong in in not fitting in any sort of sector. It is so diverse that, you know, sort of more fast-paced, more casual dining might suit somebody or really sort of intricate tweezer work with your ear pods in. Like, that might suit someone else, but Mm -hmm. it's not for the same person. And it's really important that you find where you fit. So then you're comfortable. There's nothing worse than sort of working somewhere where you're either sort of bored or, or it's pushing you beyond your comfort and then you hate the industry. Mm. Because that's not, it. just this, you know, a certain environment doesn't, but that's no different in any industry, surely. No,
2: It does seem like one of them industries where it doesn't matter about your background. You can come from any level, yeah. any place in society. You don't have to have a silver spoon in your mouth. Quite the opposite. A lot of the time, with a yep. lot of chefs, it's anyone can be that level if they apply themselves and do it. The opportunities are there for people.
0: Hundred percent. And and I think again, that is one of the one of the hardest things with getting people into the industry is you don't need any qualifications. So therefore, it is that mm. sort of default. Oh, you didn't do very good in your exams. Oh, there's a, there's a pub down the road looking for somebody and again you don't necessarily need to be an a star student to come into it but it deserves a bit more appreciation you know and and i think the kitchen is getting there but front of house they've still you know in the uk it's oh, if you're a student you get a bar job boy you, you yeah. know you go across to france and that you know you've got to be qualified you've got to yeah. it's a it's a career it's a commitment you've got to buy into it you don't just become a restaurant manager or whatever And I think, you know, kitchens through the last sort of 10 years, they're becoming a bit more respected in terms of it actually being a skilled job. Mm -hmm. And I just hope it's quite quick that it follows through for the front of the house because, you know, we can all have the most amazing food. If you have bad service, you will not go back to that restaurant. Yeah. If you have great service and average food, you will return. Mm. So, like, can so many chefs get it wrong because they're just trying to bang out this amazing food and then service is compromised or not on the same level. And as a diner, you'd left just thinking like, what is going on here? But that's also to do with the skill level that's coming in or or the aspiration.
1: So you mentioned a few big name chefs that you worked for before. Do you have one of them that's like you could call a mentor or one that inspired you?
0: As I say, for different reasons. I think, you know, with Michael, I look back at it and that discipline, that sort of really... said before that mastering of understanding you know even things like if you take blanching tomatoes
1: Mm.
0: you know and that through the season how a tomato changes and how you need to blanch it for longer or less or whatever and now sort of 20 years on when you pick up a tomato i know roughly uh, you know more clued up to it it's not it's food and food is natural and so it's not sort of you've got to you know you've got to look and feel and understand what you're doing and so working with Michael, you really understood that. And, and now, as I say, when I pick something up, when I look at something, I've already, it's already in the mind, he's processing of, what, of what's happening. And also f- from, from a management perspective with Michael, he was very recipe, recipe-driven, very sort of, there was no room for manoeuvre, no room for sort of uh, artistic creation. And, um, and I understand that, and that's cool. And I mean, look, he held two stars at Gidley for so long. There's a lot to be taken from his management. Then moving across to Gordon, in a way, it, feel, it felt a bit more fluid. There was a lot less recipes at Gordon's. It was a lot more, you learn how to cook. It's a lot less robotic, mm. sort of not painting my numbers quite as much. But I think from my development, getting that painting by numbers following a recipe mm. meant so then I had that self-discipline and understanding the processes that when I went to Gordon's, where, it, like I say, there wasn't a recipe file as such. You'd still got that in your mind. You sort of knew what you were doing, and then you'd get your own notebook and start doing your own recipe book, if that makes sense. Yes. And again, it was just a lot more. You learn to, uh, just, yeah, you learn to cook, I think. No, I don't know. How do you say it? I hate the whole thing like you go from being a chef to, sorry, a cook to a chef. It's, it's <laughs> not that. It's, but it's sort of, you just learn to look at the food and what you're dealing with and then mm. sort of make it happen to the best it can be. So yeah, different things from different kitchens. Uh, and then again, even, you know, sort of the most people I look at now are the ones that I've worked with. And I think those that have gone on to either get, well, not even just stars or anything. I've got a great lad that i worked with in New York and he went off and opened a burger truck, like a burger van. And that's brilliant. I love seeing it because he's got the same commitment and dedication to making the burgers mm. as he did when we were banging out 2 Muslim muslin-style food.
2: Well, there's very few things more pleasurable than just picking up an amazing burger and eating that.
1: <laughs> it goes back to most top-level chefs we've spoke to on this podcast now. They all say, you can nearly tell how good a chef is by the way they handle an ingredient, by the way they talk. whether that's a burger, uh, a ribeye steak, or, you know, a scallop. <laughs> yep. so you can tell straight away.
0: No, for sure. And I think it's, again, we've all had sort of bad burgers. And yeah. we've all had good ones. And, you know, again, it's, as a chef, I think just trying to make the best of whatever it is you're making, that's inside you, isn't it? And yeah. you just carry that through.
2: So, Is there much of an interview, prayer, like job interview process? So you've moved from like Michael Keynes to Gordon Ramsay to this. Is there an interview or is it just they know you by reputation, so that's how you get the job? With Gordon's, it, I mean, I don't know if you call it an interview. Uh,
0: it was um, sort of turn up and... Spoke to Mark Askew at the time. We sort of agreed to come on for a, do, a, do a stars do a, like a trial. And I mean to be fair, it there was it was quite a lot of people going through that kitchen at the time. So I think you know you sort of it was it was a great opportunity. And then obviously going back to Michael, I'd sort of spent many years with him, yeah. and there was a bit of a natural sort of um, going out to Qatar. There was quite a few interviews for that. But um, yeah, I mean it's funny just thinking about my my team here now. And, three of them have literally just turned up on the door. In fact, one lad dropped me a message through Instagram. (laughs) lad that's in the kitchen right now, he turned up on the door one day. And I think that's got a lot to do with it. And I think if you go into most kitchens and you ask the same question, the opportunities are there. Sometimes maybe getting in front of the chef might be difficult in bigger organisations. It's not always that easy. But for me, it shows a big thing as well. It's that genuine, not just sending like, whatever a quick sort of message or lazy sort of message via social media. If you're prepared to turn up to the door and sort of knock on the door and that's the first thing as an employer yeah. that I want to see. Someone
2: that turns up looking smart. Well, it's showing some initiative as well and it's taking the effort and the time to go there. Prepare to take the rejection as well. That's quite important. Indeed. Well. We had a lad uh, interview the other day just taking
0: a new chef to party and uh, we were sitting here and we are having a chat with him and I said, oh, I think the next stage would be, you know, let's get him for a trial he said, oh, could I, could I do it this week because I'm on a week's holiday? I was like, yeah, yeah. He said, actually, I've got my knives in the car. Any chance i can start now? <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I just thought, you know what?
0: I like this. <laughs> yeah. He's got like, he, yeah. And it wasn't in an arrogant sort of, he, he just, yeah, he was ready. And then, that's what you want because that is everything. That sort of starts to set the, his mindset. And more often than not, that feeds through to the way they work.
1: Is there anything particularly you look for when you're uh, hiring?
0: All it, for me, is enthusiasm. Yeah. Common sense is a big one. Like, it it really is. Cooking is not easy, and it doesn't come natural to everybody, but cooking can be taught. Mm. Common sense. Mm-hmm. You've got it or you haven't. <laughs> and that is why most people, because that organisation during service, even through prep, organising your prep list, thinking about your work day, that ultimately comes down to common sense. It's not, mm-hmm. whether you know, whether you're working in a kitchen or you're stacking shelves there's a systematic way of doing it and ultimately the success of the kitchen is down to organization
1: yeah so if there's something if you got your lists wrote down and you know something takes two hours and then something and then everything else takes 10 minutes you obviously yeah. get the two hours on and start well you'd like to think so job.
0: but yeah exactly so all, all we try to look for is that and then really important is sort of trying to maintain a team dynamic mm-hmm. of you know, we, we've we've got a very good team just now. And, yeah, we, we, it's important we get the right individuals that come into it to maintain that dynamic, primarily if they come in. And, like I say, they're, they've got something about them, They're sort of happy in a sort of social environment and, you know, a bit of common sense and, and then it integrates really well into the team and brilliant.
2: So, unfortunately, we're not in Doha at the moment. So, how do we get from Doha to here? <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, that little. So, we... Um, so, uh, sort of, we were there for about five years, and my father became ill, uh, so we had to return back to the UK. We, so, we needed to, so, mum and dad were still down in, in Staffordshire, and um, we were looking for a restaurant. We decided that was it. We'd done enough of working with everybody else, and Fran and I were like, right, let's see if we can do it ourselves, let's find a location. And so, we started looking around. Fran's family are from North Wales, and so we sort of we were looking in, in Shropshire being halfway in between, but we were also thinking, okay, what about a city or certainly a larger town, because footfall and one thing and another. So whilst looking in Shropshire, we are also looking in Birmingham. Purely coincidentally, there's a property that came up in the jewellery quarter mm. on Frank Franklin Street. And uh, I remember and I, I, I saw it and I sent a picture of it to my dad because he, uh, he used to work in Birmingham. Mm. I sent a picture of it to him, and I said, "Do you know Do you know this place at all?" And he said, do "You know what? You never guess what? It's right opposite my first factory. Yeah, right. So it's like literally <laughs> right opposite the street." Anyway, so we went to have a look at it, and unfortunately, we couldn't quite make it happen. Um, yeah, we just uh, couldn't quite quite bring everything together in time to, to make it happen. But it's a great location. It's gone on to be something else that's fantastic. We looked and looked and looked, and we couldn't really find anything else. We were literally sat in a pub one night. And on one phone, we'd got properties and restaurants and stuff for sale. And the other one was like jobs because we <laughs> got to that point. Of, right, we need to start getting some some money. in. And then this came up and uh, we said, let's go have a look at it. And uh, to be fair, we walked in and it looked like a florist. It wasn't operating a restaurant, but it wasn't really our style. Mm-hmm. But you can see beyond that. I think it's always really important. And then, yeah, massive positives have, have been able to tap into sort of local supply chain and direct is really important to us mm. um, one of the big big things that we sort of learnt in, in Doha was amazing budgets and I flew, <laughs> out, I flew to Paris one, one week with um, Guy Savoir and I met him at Runji's Market and we went to his veg supplier and we got two cases of everything one case went to his three star in Paris one case came on the plane with us back to Doha and we had dinner in his restaurant one night and then we went back to Doha the next day and he made the dinner And it wasn't as good. Long story short, whatever happens, I'm not clever enough as we've established, but is something happens to your produce when it travels. And we all know that everyone drums it into you. Use local, use fresh. But actually, I just thought if Chef Guy in this immense kitchen, like we'd literally been and got the produce. I saw the two cases. There was no magic that happened (laughs) it. If he can't make it happen, then little old me has got no chance. Yeah. So then jumping forward to so being in Shropshire, we, that really drummed it home that we need to use, and we all, as I say, we all know it, but it just really, we, we need to play to our strengths and use local projects.
1: Was he trying to prove a point or was he just genuinely just doing an experiment? No, I mean, that was
0: the supply chain because being in the desert, there was nothing. Everything was imported. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were, we were fortunate that the company imported from Runge's. Um, there were many other restaurants in the country that sort of Dubai is a big supply chain obviously mm. so it sort of come through Dubai and different brands or whatever whatever. but a lot of the stuff came in direct from Paris which is mm. amazing but you're also then at the mercy of what gets sent Yeah. so it's fine when you're there cherry picking which box of Girols <laughs> you want but next week when it turns up and. Um, so, yeah. so
1: when you say about the locality of the food do you mean, because like, we always laugh at this because UK's so small, you know, like everywhere's local. Glasgow's local really on the yeah. grand scheme of things. What do you mean by lo- is most of it Shropshire or?
0: We try, so we're like right at the north of Shropshire. Mm. Sort of Wales is a mile that way, Cheshire's a mile that way. Mm. So we do go across a little bit into North Wales, um, a little bit across into Cheshire just because of where we are. We, you know, it makes no sense to purely focus on Shropshire and mm-hmm. head 40 miles south when yeah. Yeah. 10 miles north.
1: But you're talking very local then. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but never at the compromise of, of quality. And, and that's not sort of knocking any producers that might be listening that a local. But it's, it's difficult. Um, you know,
1: you're not getting scallops in Shropshire. No, it <laughs>
0: You've got, we still have to, you know. But things like all the rapeseed oil and mm. the guys that we use for that, it's all grown over in Ironbridge. And um, Rupert literally hand bottles every single one. So as he's filling the bottle, he's looking at the clarity of it. He's looking at, is it consistent, one thing to another? He knows it's a very sort of primitive setup, but actually it's all that you need. And the oil is absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. Um, again, all the veggies and stuff. We've got a great veg supplier who goes to all the local farms. So when tomatoes are in season, he goes to the tomato farm and then whatever and go to the asparagus and they'll pick up, they do all the leg, leg work for us basically. And it's all super, super fresh. And they bring it down to us, which is, which is superb. Meat, uh, we just had venison on sort of pre-Christmas straight off um Eton Estate in Cheshire, you know, and it's brilliant, just as local as we can get without sort of the compromise on quality.
1: We kind of, I think I asked that question diverted from the original question, which was, um, we were talking about how we got set up here. I mean I think you got as far as you would, you wanted to use, source local ingredients. So, what, like what was the general next like, so you found this place and then was it just opened it and people swarmed in?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been nice though. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, so we we opened uh so we sort of set about we did a bit of um redecoration, bit of bit of work in the kitchen. And I wanted to go all in with a tasting menu from the get go. That was that was the dream. And then Fran very wisely said, look, we need to do an a la carte menu and we've got to get people in. And, you know, when, when we were decorating and people were walking past, oh, what are you guys doing? And we can do a tasting menu. Oh what? And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. What's the price point? And when we first opened our seven course tasting menu was 37 pounds. Wow. wow. Right? <laughs> but we were expensive. So we were just like, all right, it's going to be interesting. Anyway, so we, we opened and we had the tasting menu and we had the a la carte and through probably the first 12 months, we slowly saw Mm. a move across to everyone taking 90% taking tasting menu. We then got the confidence to sort of knock the a la carte on the head. Mm. Um, We were also doing like mother's day, father's day, Christmas day, everything. And again, the difference when it is your business and you've got people to pay and bills to pay and, you know, sort of not massive backers or or anything to rely on. You have to, you know, sort of make the business work. And then, yeah, slowly but surely, we've moved across to exactly where we want to be, which is the tasting menu. You know, really dialing in on each dish, making sure that everything's as good as it can be. Minimising food waste was a big one. Mm. The great thing, I mean, not with people moving across the tasting menu, yes, it moved more towards what we wanted to achieve, but equally, it left us with a load of sort of whatever rare breed meats or wonderful fish and that was left on Saturday night that we were then thrown in the bin. And whilst there's a financial side to that, it's also just morally like really wrong. Yeah. So that, we we're sort of pleased to be able to knock that on the head as well because that's not an enjoyable thing to be going through. So, um, yeah. Uh, and now we're sort of four and a half years we've been here. the restaurant for the last, um, since sort of lockdown, we've been fully booked. We're fully booked now through to much July amazing. which is amazing a team of 14 I think we've got um, which for the first year there was three of us <laughs> you know so it's been a real development and uh, you know even the restaurant itself has just gotten better and we're really happy with where we got to
1: how did you adapt from going from chef to business owner
0: it's definitely tough mm. definitely stressful Again, being in Qatar, I managed well. I moved up to be like F&B director for a while, out of the kitchen, which was not really what I wanted to do, but it gave me the insight of mm. the financials and running a business and contracts and all the boring stuff. Which again, then when we came to our own thing, it just put us a little bit in better stead of yeah, yeah we're not just a chef and a restaurant manager trying to make it happen. We, we sort of got a better understanding on how a business works. It becomes um, a
1: bit more personal to you when it's your own, that's the thing. Very much. <laughs> no, very much.
0: Um, but I think really we, we spoke to a few other, sorry, we spoke to a few restaurants, great restaurants, and everyone seems to go through a similar thing. That whole development the first year, you just chuck everything at it, you open all the time, just mm. trying to trying to survive.
1: Firefighting, isn't it? Just trying to pack fires left, right, and you center.
0: You know, you've <laughs> got a budget, the budget blown out of the water, there's no money left in the pot, you're desperate to get people in, yeah. you know, you're desperate to show people what you can do, you're desperate mm-hmm. to, you know, get people to believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now that, you know, when we look at the reservation diary, you know, we've now got regulars, people that come once a month, once every two months or whatever. That is incredible, that is amazing and it feels great that we've achieved it. It's nice that we're now developing the team, um Felix that's in the kitchen, he started with us in 2018. He's been off and do a few stages, uh, fantastic restaurants. And then he's now come back as like senior sous chef. want to get him up to like a head chef position. Anna's on, in the front, similar thing working with Fran. And that's now really important to us that we can build that next generation, give them the skill set to hopefully stick around or go off and do their own amazing thing. I mean, who knows? But
1: it must feel like a huge responsibility now to have like your team. You've got to look after them and...
0: Yeah, it's quite nice though. It really is. It's it's um it's nice that the the diary is nice and full. And it's nice especially just now to be able to say to the team, look guys, you you can see the business on the books. You know, your jobs are more than safe and secure right through up until July. And the only reason it's July is cuz the booking system is not open beyond. Yeah. You know, and I, we don't take it for granted one yeah. one minute, but it's yeah. really nice to be able to say that to 14
1: people and then you have like four day weeks and good breaks and stuff four day weeks yeah.
0: christmas we shut for three weeks Amazing. so that everyone oh, gets oh. christmas and new year off you know they work their socks off through the year and so many years that we've done it where you work in christmas day or you get one off christmas day or new year mm. i mean again it's fine it's it, it, you know but for us we just um, we've got a little one as well so we yeah. we now you know that's what we want to do. It's, it's, yeah. We want to be at home opening presents at 6am with a very excitable <laughs> youngster. And the team can enjoy the same. And then when they come back in January, you know, it's, it's full
1: throttle and off we go. It's nice nice forum. Is there anything you know now you wish you knew when you open?
0: Don't open a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's, no, not at all. Yeah, you're always learning, right? And there's always things you could have done better and I don't know because it's also very much about the time and I was going to say you know something like even just investing more maybe in the property or mm-hmm. um, you know we really focused on things that people used so we made sure we had great glassware the plateware was nice the cutlery was nice it took us a couple of years to buy new chairs
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know we've only got 40 seats but it's a big investment mm-hmm. that when you've got to replace them all we changed all the tables and stuff a couple of years back and had the place redecorated. I mean, I'd have loved to have opened the way it is today, Mm. but I guess like anything, you you grow into it and every time someone did walk past and sort of has a bit of a dig at you, you become unnerved. And I think one of the biggest things of going from working with somebody else is no different with the food you produce. You know, when you're a head chef for somebody, you make it and then you give it to the exec chef and you get the seal of approval one way or the other. When it's your own, that isn't there. But then when, you, when it's your own restaurant, everything, you know, the, whatever, the lights, the menu paper, the cutlery, the uniforms, the music, the toilet paper, you name it, people will criticise it. And suddenly you've got to think of all these things and you have to take that approval in the first instance and then hope it's what everyone's looking for. It's
1: crazy. Do you read TripAdvisor?
0: Yeah, we, we do actually. We read yeah. all of them we're very fortunate there's only a couple of I think it's three stars unless anything's gone on yesterday I but, really
1: <laughs> unless I'm going somewhere new I don't bother like you know if, you, if you're going on a holiday or something you, I tend to rarely read it but
0: I think we, we always read all the reviews that, uh, our reservation system as a, like a follow up email thing and you know we, we, we do look at every single one not because we sort of you know focus on all the negatives but it's really important to us to keep our finger on the pulse mm. And if even if someone has got a slight negative, someone said the other day that dinner had been great, everything was great, blah, blah, blah. They were just a little bit cold. I mean, you know, it's absolutely freezing at the minute. We're in an mm. old building. We're not blessed with, like, the most efficient <laughs> heating system. <laughs> it's on full whack. I mean, there's not much more we can do, but we can go out and we can get another little heater. Mm. And so rather than getting all upset and sort of negative about whatever someone's saying, we just want to make it as, as good as it can be. So if there's small gains that we can, or small changes we can make, then the best way to find that is through actually looking at a negative, and yeah. rather than getting all like, "Oh, they're you know they're, they're talking nonsense."
1: I think that's a great way to use Tripadvisor. I know it's got a bad rep, and most of the time it is a cesspit. But it's the like so the wild, stupid stuff most people ignore. Like if I read something and it's, you can tell it's petty. You can tell a person's gone in in a bad mood. They didn't want to enjoy the meal in the first place. You you tend to ignore that, but then. You can look at, like, as you said, if, someone's, if two or three people came in and said it was a tiny bit cold, you say, oh, maybe it was cold. You know? yeah. It's a good way of using it. It's smart. Yeah. And them. I
0: think anyone that reads these review sites these days <clears throat> also, now they've been around for so long, everybody knows to filter in their own minds. Yeah. Filter out. <clears throat> you know, and it's also, you know, keyboard warriors, everyone gets a bit excited and adds an extra 10% on actually what happened. Because,
2: because everyone thinks they're a critic now and think it's
1: they exactly. not like what they like. Some lie. people just go for the wine. Like, <laughs> as soon as I asked that question, I thought, Do you know what, I shouldn't have answered, but I'm really glad I did because you answered it so well. But I thought, because, you know, um, Paul Foster, obviously, yeah. is famous. <laughs> but I feel like now people go on there and write absurd stuff just so that he'll read it out on his podcast yeah. or that he'll react on Twitter. Or- <laughs> so oh, for sure. yeah, I shouldn't have really so I
0: mean, it. it's. Um- <laughs> No, I mean, look, it, it is what it is. And I think for most, as I say, for the most people that do read them, anyone that does use review sites also knows to filter out. Mm. You've got to look for the common threads, right? Yeah. Whether they're positive or negative. If, somewhat, yeah. if 20 reviews constantly comment on one thing, then you know it's actually, and it's, it's a thing. If one person says whatever, yeah. it's a personal opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: How did the TV work come about?
0: Yeah. Uh, Instagram <laughs> yeah seems like a lot happens through Instagram it does it's an amazing platform these days yeah I got a message off one of the producers and um, they were looking for somebody to take part yeah I went from there had a chat and she said um, she said I'm just calling you uh, about a show called Great British Menu have you heard of it <laughs> heard of it no of course I haven't <laughs> well yeah of course would you like to take part or I'll have to have a think on that sort of yeah um, and that's where it came from really, just a uh, chat with her and then we, um, it was during lockdown as well so it was more uh, uh, video uh, interviews and stuff and um, yeah, it sort of went from there um, but I was sort of recruited into it late as a Covid sub essentially, mm-hmm. won't be on it this year, just you know sort of put yourself in good stead for next year and be a sub this year and, and get involved. You've got to be match fit, so you've got to get everything ready. But yeah, and then um, went down that, that route, submitted the ideas, submitted the menu on, I remember it was 25th of September because it was my birthday, submitted the menu at 10am and then at midday they called and said, you're on. Wow.
2: <laughs> In, you're nervous.
0: Well, it was such a short lead time that they'd, they'd, they'd only contacted me, I think it was about three weeks earlier, and then filming, if I remember, was early part of October. So it really was, from the day they told us, it was like 11 days or something. We used a local, there's a kid's pottery thing. You know, you take them and they do their paw prints on the plates yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So we got them to do all the plateware. I was like, well, where am I gonna get bespoke plates from in like 11 <laughs> days? So I went over there and bless them, they hand drew all the little Cluedo tiles. And so they're
2: the ones that did the map? When you did the
0: uh, map. So dish. a friend of mine works at Printers in Birmingham, actually, and I called him up. And um, I was sat at home we were playing with our kids, um, you know, the little, uh, what do you call it, where you take the shapes out with it. it's got like... Oh, like
2: Operation.
0: Yeah, sort of thing. It's got like the little shapes in a jigsaw type thing with the little pins in them. And I sent him a picture of it and I was like, I need a map that's like this. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not got pins in it. So we, we, we pulled it together, which was absolutely brilliant. pan that we used on a main course. Uh, we use an amazing company called Netherton Foundry, and she makes all the cast iron yeah, cookware. Yeah,
1: send them. they look awesome. I, I Look at that. I'd never buy anything because I can't afford it, but I look <laughs> at the page, and I'm like, I want to buy that, that. It's so good. <laughs> and bless her, <laughs> I
0: called her up and I said, "Sue, I need this pan. I need to represent Shropshire, and I want to do these beautiful purple potatoes down the road, and I want to put them in one of your black cast iron pans. Mm. Can you send me one um, tomorrow?" And she said, "Oh, we haven't got one." And then the next day, it turned up in the post. I said, "See, what happened?" She said, "It's fine. I sent him out, and he went and cast one for you." overnight (laughs) wow, and then got it up to you which is just brilliant so yeah people were just amazing um the plateware came out of the kiln on Sunday I was driving down to the studio and it's like hot in the back of the car it was so last minute on it and then it all leads to we kept saying right we we must watch a few episodes in detail like we all watch GBM but it's Mm. sort of on and you don't you take notes of the food but not the surroundings yeah, we just never got around to it. We were the I forget where it w- fell now in terms of lockdown, but I think the restaurant reopened around the same time. So we we're busy trying to get the restaurant open and concentrate on the GBM menu and stuff. Never got time to rewatch any episodes, and before I knew it, stood in the studio, sort of canapes on the pass, and <laughs> you're like right, we're off then. It's and yeah, brilliant, brilliant experience. Really cool.
2: Is it genuinely competitive between like you won the Central Region, didn't you? Yeah,
0: last year. I think we got a really good group. Shannon was great. Liam, brilliant. Sabrina's food, exceptional. And I think we got a really, really good group. That sort of, um, yeah, it was competitive. Of course it was. But actually, I think we all equally understood that, yeah, I don't know. I think you just go and you do your own thing. For me, you've already submitted your menu. They know what you're doing. You've got your props. I mean, there's very little, not deviation from the plan, but, you're set, you know what you're doing, you know, you sort of, you can't just change a dish on the day or whatever, so afterwards, you just go in and cook your socks off and that's all the competition you need, right? You sort of You go in feeling confident, you've got a good link to the brief and
2: you stand behind your food, but no, it was good fun, really good fun. Do you find it's a great advertisement for your restaurant as well? Like, do you go on the next day and you're like, I've got like an extra 10,000 followers and...
0: So we're talking to the producers and they said, look, just make sure your website's sort of up to speed because it's it's going to get busy. So we called our IT guy and said, um, <clears throat> look, this is going to happen. Blah blah blah. How many people do you think? And he said, well, you got bandwidth for about ten thousand hits. So I was like, that's a lot of people, right? Like, that'll be fine. Anyway, within like ten minutes of the show airing, the website was down. One thing, another. One hundred and forty-four thousand people
2: <laughs> wow. have been on the wow. website. I mean, I'll watch that show and I'll sit there with my phone ready to look yeah. up. who's So I'm like, oh, I haven't heard of that one. Where's that restaurant? Yeah, <laughs> I it's it just
0: up. unbelievable. The response was like so overwhelming and brilliant. I mean, truly, truly brilliant. The bookings just flew. I mean, it's massive, positive thing, and <clears throat> it's difficult today, isn't it? Trying to any marketing, you know, the so many social media platforms. But I talked to one of the, the younger team members and said, you know, within your house you know probably her and her sister is on like Snapchat and I don't know Instagram or TikTok or whatever us oldies now are on Twitter and Facebook
2: yeah
0: and then mom and dad are on newspaper and radio so from a marketing perspective where do you target i mean you can't you cannot be on every single platform you've got to find the market you're going for mm. and obviously with the TV um, I mean it's just such a Massive advert. I mean, mm. it's incredible. I think it's three million people or
2: something watch it. Well, I remember watching. I was like, I looked you up as soon as you were on there. I was like, right, I'm going to this restaurant. I put it on my list of restaurants I want to go to. Yeah, it's just like, great because
1: you got to say most of that three million are like, balls deep foodies, and they're like, you yeah, know, yeah, fanatics like us. Like,
2: Cause it's one of them shows. It really <laughs> does have some of the best chefs in the country go on. It still took very seriously. Very much, and it
0: is. It is competitive, and the, the judging is, is harsh, um, especially in the finals. It's very, very harsh, but in a good way. And it, for me, I, I genuinely think there is an underlying... Everybody wants the best things to go through to the banquet. Mm. And I think even the chefs that don't get the stuff to the banquet or don't do particularly well on any given day, most people will hold their hands up and say, mm. you know what, actually, on the day... Your dish was better or that deserved to go through or whatever. I think it's um it is yeah, it's it's a tough process, but I think
1: it's it's pretty cool. Good for the town as well.
0: Yeah, amazing. You know, to be able to show some uh, sort of get a spotlight on the town. Mm, it's um, a we get so many people now travelling. We had a couple last week, drive up from Portsmouth wow. in the day. Wow. Stay over, so all the accommodation is doing well, which is good. And people need a drink before. And this is it. And so they in, the, in the pubs and then the next day they grab lunch before they go. Mm. So, no, it is. It's really good for the town. Just all in a
1: hugely positive experience. I mean, we're, we're pretty much Birmingham-based. Like, But when this came about, we were like, yeah, of course. It's like an hour and a half. But it's not even all motorway. There's some nice roads. If you wanted to take a bit more time, if you're coming for dinner, you could stop off at a few towns along the way. Yep. Uh, it's, it's just really handy especially for Birmingham like, yeah
2: well, I barely noticed the travel here it was
1: you so must so get quick. quite a few from Birmingham up this way we I'm do
0: not. we do and it is that exactly what you say though it's a really nice escape sort of from the city into the country um, yeah and I mean if you you know sort of if you, if you can get the weekend out of it as well then brilliant you know you could almost post work on a Friday you could get up here and
1: yeah it's not that far um,
0: mm-hmm. and it's a you know it's a real good escape
1: we're kind of coming close to the time where we have to make a... I, I, don't, I just want to ask one before you go. You said you were nearly in Birmingham once. Is there any plans ever to open a restaurant in Birmingham?
0: Never say never. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. We 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 we've, we've really grown into this space, and we, and we sort of we really do love the area. Um, some days we think, you know, yeah, let's let's move to a city and. I don't know. We'll have to see. Honestly, <laughs> it's uh, it's tempting, but we're really enjoying it. Yeah. And, uh, and at the minute, touch wood. It's going well. It's man. going well. Is there so.
2: anywhere in Birmingham you quite like food-wise or bars or restaurants?
1: Do you get to in Birmingham a lot Yeah, or? do
2: you even get to try these places?
0: Uh, I mean, as we've mentioned before. So, obviously, uh, Andy Sheridan. He's, he's um, eight. He's very good. Uh, Nathan Swift, who was at Opus. I've just seen he's moved uh, is it Chapter
2: yeah Chapter I'm booked yeah. in to go next so month. yeah
0: I'm keen to go and check that out at some point Actar obviously we love going there as well so yeah so many good places isn't there just so many good yeah. places and I think that it's a great great town Fran- city Fran- 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 Scha- in Pernhals
1: yeah well honestly <laughs> yeah, she's
0: desperate to get into <laughs> but um,
1: there's just so many good places isn't there and I think that's that's the great thing about the city have you got anything coming up that you want to give a plug to or
0: well, what are we doing? I don't know. We've we've sort of just forming the calendar um, for this year. We've got a big event coming up with um, the, the artist who's got the, the art in the restaurant, Sam Poulou Stride. We've got a big event at a local venue coming up in March, I think it is. And um, and then, yeah, festival season will be on us. Mm. So a few fe- food festivals, we're up at Carfest later in the year as well. Yeah, just getting back into the swing of it. First week back, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
2: first week back. First week back and full house. So we're, um, yeah, catching up. So these are my questions ask at the end of every podcast. They do change, but the quick fire, although I keep saying the quick fire, they seem to, <laughs> some people seem to <laughs> procrastinate on them quite a lot. What's your favourite movie? Uh, it'd have to be um, Gone in 60 Seconds It's got to be You know what I was thinking about that film The other day I don't know why I was just thinking about it For ages I was thinking about Vinnie Jones For some reason and I was thinking That's a really good film It is <laughs> it? <Yeah. laughs> What's your favourite band Or DJ Or uh,
0: Calvin Harris That's Yeah. a good one Actually well, went to see him On the beach as well Which was pretty cool yeah, so. I can imagine That was a lot
2: of fun Yeah good fun <laughs>
0: Do
2: you have a favourite Cookbook Not a single cookbook mm.
0: No probably favourite sort of I would love uh, Anthony Bourdain's book I just think it's very sort of kitchen memoirs and I know it's not a cookbook per se but it's, it's a good one
2: which favourite alcoholic drink
0: um, I used to be big into gin but I have to say I think moving more across to wine I don't forget it old <laughs>
2: <laughs> it must be an age thing because I'm definitely more into wine now than I ever have been it just seems to be getting worse and worse <laughs> What's your favourite big fast food chain? Um does five guys cast classes? Yeah. yeah, yeah answer. Do. Well, your answer. Um what's your favourite takeaway? Ooh, fish and chips. Oh, good one. What's your favourite dish that you'll cook at home?
0: Uh do like um like a like a salmon with sesame and ginger and uh, and then like a dashi with some noodles and stuff. Like, we try to try to eat healthy at home. And that's loads of flavour and just mm. great. Sounds Definitely
1: cool. the best chef hunts I've ever had. It's not only like bins and toast. Yeah, it's just, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't cook. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. It sounds like we live really posh. we only at, at home once a month.
2: <laughs> what would you class as your favourite cuisine?
0: Probably Asian cuisine, as in,
2: yeah. Tea or coffee?
0: Coffee. And what's your favourite
2: food destination in the world that you've been to? Ooh.
0: I really enjoyed like Australia and New Zealand I, put the same. I think it's yeah I don't know whether it's about I mean food's all about time and place isn't it but it just feels great down there the yeah. produce is so ripe and delicious and I had good memories of great breakfast in Brisbane or even down in Melbourne um, along the water there just yeah really
1: really good amazing anything cool. else you want to talk about before we off
0: I need to make get the bread out of the
1: oven <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the bread. good man thank <laughs> you <so laughs> very much Thanks for inviting us to be here and thanks for your time, and really appreciate it, Stu. Thanks for the chat. Thank you.